Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. April 4th, 2023. A smaller <clears throat> week from DC. Half the books this last week, which is good. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week so many books and, you know, Rocky kind of pointed out that, you know, not everybody reads all the books like we do. Very few people probably read all the books. But even so, you know, um, even if you're only reading four or five books, th that you're not, you're just not giving them as much attention as, you know, one or two. Um, so I'm all for the lower count, but again, at the same time, like I said last week, DC just has such a huge stable of characters that, you know, the fact there's no Aquaman book right now, there's no Green Lantern book, there's no Hawkman book. Like that's, you know, it's not the best. Batgirls, uh, is, has ended. I want to say back, you know, Batgirl book, I'm talking Barbara Gordon. So kind of interesting. We know that there's a, uh, we are legends imprint coming from DC with a bunch of Asian characters. Those characters are interesting. Um, you know, I think they're focusing on the new characters, but certainly a Cassandra Cain Batgirl series would be a welcome return. Um, so again, it's, it's just tough when you have that many books. Um, and then editorially, what's going on DC? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But um, all that's to be, you know, discussed at a later time. We're going to talk about these books. Uh, and I, I thought it was a pretty solid week. Rocky, what did you think? I actually thought it was too. I actually enjoyed, I'm, I'm actually looking, there's only... Yeah, you know what? There's only one comic this week that I thought was very meh. I pretty much enjoyed. I enjoyed all of them. I thought were, were good reads. I didn't. Uh, only one kind of made me uh, kind of smirk a little bit. But, uh, you know, so yeah, that's pretty good. Because, yeah, what was there? Like uh, three, six, nine, eight out of nine for me. So I, w I was happy, you know. It was good. Good week. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know with the one that was meh. Um because I, I mean, I really thought everything was above average this week. Yeah. Um, but well, it was the funny. Joker for me. The Joker was meh to me. Uh, the man who stopped okay. laughing is, continues to okay. gotcha. meander for for me. You know. Yeah, you know, not the certainly not the best title of the week. But what I enjoyed about that, and we'll talk about it more when we get to it. Obviously, was Kate Spencer Manhunter shows up. You know, and I haven't seen her in a while. And even when she did show up yeah. in the pages of. Uh, Leviathan, I guess, was the last time that we saw her. That's right. Uh, she wasn't really – Bendis didn't really use her up to her potential. I, I really like the character. In a lot of ways, she reminds me of um, um, Renee Montoya, you know, with yeah. her issues with alcoholism and, and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it was just great to see her in action again. I mean, yeah, as far as the, the story itself, I, I don't know. Yeah. One of the better backups, though, this week in, uh, in The Joker Who Laughs. But anyway, like I said, we'll get to that. Let's kick it off with Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number two, written by Tom Taylor. Clayton Ken Henry is the artist. Jordy Blair on colors. Wes Abbott on letters. Um, some fantastic covers as well. Uh, Clayton, the interior artist, does one of them. There's a wow. zoo Orzu cover, Tiago da Silva, Mike Perkins, and Mike Spicer do a cover. So um, I'm going to let you go first on this one because I'm, I'm really <laughs> curious as to your thoughts because I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different perspective, and I'll, I, but I want right. to talk about that after you give us your thoughts. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I'm really curious about your thoughts on this because uh, I'll tell you what my initial first impression was reading this because I was really looking forward to, uh, for me, I know all the hype was about Injustice Superman and uh, straight up that was, for me, that wasn't a great sign, even though I like Injustice Superman. I really wanted it to be about Ultraman and John 
Kent coming coming to terms and having a confrontation with Ultraman and and my initial reaction with this final page, which we, this is a spoiler and we'll, we'll get to it, but that final page reaction in terms, it's shocking. And I, I was immediately, my first reaction was a huge turnoff. I didn't like it. But then simultaneously, I have to admit, the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was kind of cool. I have to admit, it was, a, it was a cool fanboy moment. What happens to Ultraman? He gets his comeuppance. So as much as I, I kind of like the, the, the lead up and it was shocking. It was, a, it was a shocking ending for me. I didn't see it coming. Maybe I should have, but maybe some readers did. But I never saw this ending coming and it was shocking to me. And um, it was kind of cool. But yet the reason what the, my biggest disappointment is we are, what, we are robbed of uh, John Ken truly having a confrontation with Ultraman because of what of of Injustice Superman showing up and ending the threat of Ultraman permanently. We're robbed of that. And I'm I feel robbed of that because that's what I wanted. But this is apparently going to be an injustice story with John Kent having an influence on Injustice Superman who uses lethal force. I mean that's really what this is. And so, you know, last issue, one of the things that Lois Lane established absolutely made clear is that she's worried about John Kent because Ultraman's going through the multiverse, killing off various Superman. And why is he killing them off? Well, that was never really made clear. What's Ultraman's motivation? Maybe we'll never know, but they're able to track Ultraman. Whenever Ultraman makes a jump to another multiverse, the Red Tornado, the Lois Lane slash Red Tornado of Earth 2 can track it. And so they end up on this, uh, they, they track it, they go where Ultraman is, and immediately Ultraman attacks him, takes out, takes out the Red Tornado, and, and then uses the Phantom Zone projector that they were going to use to get rid of Ultraman. Uh, the, Ultraman uses the Phantom Zone projector to get rid of Val Zod so that it's only him and John Kent left. And they have a very brief conversation. They're usually fighting. John Kent uses his electrical powers to incapacitate, to incapacitate uh, Ultraman, hold his own. And but they really don't discuss. Ultraman only teases man, teases John Kent about you know about him being weak and pathetic. And they don't really have a conversation about the volcano. What happened during those seven years? Uh, Lois Lane claimed her son was tortured in the volcano. As I've said before, we've never received any evidence whatsoever that John Kent was in any way, shape, or form tortured other than we've been told that. John Kent said that he was basically incarcerated in a volcano for seven years. And, and look how well John Kent turned out. Okay, I'm going to put it that way. John Kent turned out to be pretty damn good. If Ultraman is that good a parent, we could all be so lucky to have our kids spend seven years trapped in a volcano and end up as well adjusted as John Kent. How did John Kent not get screwed up? Even a, an ounce of behavioral difficulty, some ounce of PTA, something. How did John Kent get screwed up? He didn't. He's a perfect kid. He's a perfect Superman. And so not only are we robbed because uh, at the end of this, I, uh, we have Injustice Superman showing up, snapping the neck of Ultraman, which is really cool. It's really cool. It's Ultraman being a jerk to, you know, saying, I will make, I'm sure I'll make sure you, your, your lowest suffers. And then, you know, Injustice Superman shows up and says, no, you won't. Snaps it. It's a cool fanboy moment. So it's an epic moment. If you're a fan of Injustice Superman, it's great. But I don't want Ultraman to die. I love Ultraman. I love hating him. Well, I don't want him to die. 
Who wants Ultraman to die? That's ridiculous. He's an awesome character of Earth 3. You know, we, we learn more about Ultraman uh, through uh, Jeff Johns during Forever Evil. Uh, we interviewed, who was the writer we interviewed who did the Crime Syndicate series? Uh, that was uh, Andy, was it Andy yeah. something? Uh, yeah. The writer. I'll look it up. Yeah. yeah, but he did he did Andy a great Smith, job too. What's that? I think it was Andy Smith. Yeah, Andy but, Schmidt. Andy Schmidt. Andy Schmidt. Yeah, he did a good job too. Make made some token attempt at Ultraman's characterization. Here we get none. So we'll never know what Ultraman's motivation was, keeping John Kent uh, trapped in a volcano. Did he have son issues, father issues, family? Why? We don't know. And now we're robbed of that. And in, in lieu of Injustice Superman and and I I personally find it you know uh, Tom Taylor robs me of the story that I want him to tell in favor of a story that he chooses to tell and now we're supposed to be all teary eyed because Injustice Superman he sees Lois's eyes in, in John Kent's eyes he sees his dead Lois's eyes in, in John Kent and that's all well and good and it's good character moments but it's not the story that I wanted but this is the story that we're going to get and don't get me wrong it might be really good okay I, I'm kind of a hypocrite here because I'm, I'm feeling two sides. I'm kind of disappointed, but I got to admit it's kind of some cool moments here. Okay. So that's how I feel in a nutshell. So I'm really curious to see what your first impression was and if it changed. Yeah. I mean, my first impression was sort of mixed as well. It's just right. Like uh, a little bit hypocritical as well. Superman doesn't kill talked ad nauseum about the man of steel movie from Zack Snyder and why I hate it so much. And that that's the least of what's wrong with that movie is Superman killing Zod at the end, but you can't see Superman's see Superman wearing the S injustice Superman or not. You can't see a Superman snapping someone's neck and not think about Henry Cavill in the, the end of that movie. Um, but there also was a part of me that's like, man, Tom Taylor does a fantastic job better than Bendis in a few short pages here, writing Ultraman of, of, like you said, reminding us why we despise Ultraman, like why we hate Ultraman. Like, God, he's such a, just, you know, four letter word. Like, yeah. he's so he's just <laughs> scum. He's, he's the antithesis of Superman. Everything that's good and inspires hope or whatever that it, Ultraman is the exact opposite of that. You know, he's more the opposite of Superman than Bizarro or, um, or Lex Luthor or what have you, you know, he, he, he's selfish. And John even says uh, at one point when they're fighting, when Ultraman, you know, talks about the weakness of compassion and ultra and how he sees the weakness of Ultraman is that he only cares about himself, right? Like Superman is the most selfless individual, you know, and in, in maybe in all of fiction, certainly within the DC universe. And again, Ultraman is the most selfish. So, there was a part of me when Superman snaps his neck that's like, yes, Ultraman, you get what you deserve. Finally, it's nice to see a villain gets what get what he actually deserves, you know, like what the Joker deserves. You know, when we're talking about true justice in terms of a philosophical balancing of the scales, so to speak. Um, you know, there is that uh, whole philosophy about, you know, whatever is going to provide the most people with the greatest amount of happiness. That's what we should do morally, whether it's right or wrong. You know, we could debate that as well. But there there was a part of me that loved it. Like, oh, my God. Yes, we're going to see it. But uh, there's another part of me. 
and this is the part that interviewed Tom Taylor, talked to Tom Taylor at San Diego Comic-Con about what this series was going to be. And there's a little bit of a, a bait and switch, right? And again, it's not, it's not done out of malice. Um, but we were sold this book on the premise that it was going to be John Kent working out his issues with Ultraman. And at the, <laughs> the final page of the second issue, or next to the last page of the second issue, off the table. So, mm-hmm. like, I get it. You, you want to preserve the surprise and the emotional impact of the story. That certainly was the way it was back then when we were buying comics, you know, off the spinner rack at our local convenience store or what have you. Um, you didn't know what was coming. And if they had talked about this and preview pages had been sent out, then everybody would have been talking about it and it would have been spoiled before you got to the end of the story. And so I understand. But at the same time, it's like, well, wait, I we know we knew Injustice Superman was going to show up eventually. So we know that's going to be part of the story. But now with Ultraman off the table, it does feel a little bit like not that we were lied to, but maybe that we were misled. Again, I understand why, but it, it does it doesn't feel great, you know, that we had expectations or we had, you know, a certain idea in mind of what the story was going to be. And now that's all been subverted. Now I trust Tom Taylor. I think the story will still be good. I have never actually read injustice. It's one of those things that's on my list oh, to get to eventually. It's, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it's very, very good. Part of why I stayed away from it was, you know, early on Joker kills Lois. Superman murders Joker. Again, I'm not a big fan of Superman killing. <laughs> I know hypocritical because I just said I enjoyed seeing Ultraman get what was coming to him. Um, so that, that's part of the reason I never read it. Now, I, I say, okay, this story was supposed to be John Kent dealing with his with his angst, with his trauma or what have you that uh, was perpetrated by Ultraman. We did see him sort of lose it and manifest some of the lightning powers, which I think is so cool, right? Because we, we, the whole electric blue Superman had his 25th anniversary last year. That's really cool. Uh, Ultraman even says, that's the hardest I've ever been hit. You know, and, and this guy's been traveling the multiverse, killing all sorts of different Superman. And John Kent is the one that hits him the hardest. Then he's kind of um, drained and, and uh, Ultraman goes and says, you know, I'm going to trap you in the volcano again and play with you and blah, blah, blah. And I honestly thought it was going to be John Kent that took out Ultraman and then the infinite uh, injustice Superman shows up and, and takes him out. But I say that to say this, just because Ultraman is gone doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't going to be a story where John Kent deals with the trauma of what happened with Ultraman. Yes. It seems like it would have been cleaner or made more sense for him to confront Ultraman directly until things get resolved. He did confront him directly. It was an epic fight. So now I guess it comes down to a question of how well can Tom Taylor use the Injustice Superman as sort of a, a stand-in for Ultraman? Like, like when you think about it, if we, if we put this on a spectrum, right? Like you have John Kent on one side, you know, clearly influenced by the best characteristics and traits of both his father, Superman, and his uh, mother, Lois Lane. Then you've got uh, Injustice Superman started off you know, morally doing the right thing and, you know, very much the Superman we all know, and then sort of turned, you know, snapped when Lois was killed, uh, no pun intended with him snapping Ultraman's neck there. Um, and then decides, well, if I've done that, I might as well take it a step further. Again, I haven't read Injustice, but to my understanding, the rest of the heroes try to stop him. He, he takes out some of them, kills some of them, 
and sort of becomes a, for lack of a better term, somewhat benevolent dictator. It's his way or the highway, but at least yeah. he's, you know, making sure that people are provided for. And then on the other end of the spectrum, all the way on the opposite end of John Kent, you've got Ultraman. So you sort of think of this Injustice Superman as sort of a bridge between the two in a way. You know, he's got some good characteristics. He's got some horrible characteristics. So will this actually maybe be a better person, a better character, a better foil for John to see? John Kent probably can't look at Ultraman and see anything of himself or his father, you know, other than the physical traits and the powers. He can probably look at Injustice Superman and identify with him more than he could with Ultraman. So maybe it'll be a story of there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, I don't really know, but um, it is interesting. It was super impactful. Uh, kudos to Tom Taylor for uh, surprising me, uh, even if, yeah, this wasn't really – I mean, didn't we all expect this to be a longer interaction between – Ultraman and John Kent. I mean, it's it lasted one issue, and I yeah. it's not even the whole issue. So yeah, I'm not sure what to expect, but the fight was epic, epic, epic. This might be my favorite Clayton Henry art that I've ever seen. Like I, I like Clayton Henry. He does have a, a distinctive style. Uh, you know, his, his faces tend to be sort of elongated. I know some people don't like that. I've never minded it. And like I said, it does give his style kind of its own kind of standout quality. I don't ever remember seeing him do a fight that was this great, maybe with the exception of some of the Archer and Armstrong stuff he did for Valiant back in the day when um, Archer was do- using the Kung Fu and what have you. Yeah. Um, but it, this fight was just so epic. And it, it, it was not just the line work and the character um, placement. It's also the, like, he, he uses some interesting panel layouts, interesting panel designs, orientations, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I just thought it was great. And then the next snapping incident, obviously fantastic. And then the emotionality in the Injustice Superman's face on the final page. Um, so I give I give credit to Clayton for maybe doing the best work I've seen him do. Like it's just it's just fantastic. Like you know, just to have Injustice Superman looking at John going, "Oh, you have your mother's eyes." I mean, obviously this is the guy that lost Lois, and um, to my knowledge, before they ever had a chance to have a, a John Kent before they ever had a chance to have a son. So you can just imagine um, what that interaction between this Superman who's lost his way and um, and John Kent will be, right? Like, is this Injustice Superman going to look at look at John and, and it's going to reinforce and sort of validate what he did? Hey, look, look at what the Joker did. Look at what the Joker took from me. I was right to do what I did because I've lost out on having a son like this. Or will they look at it and go, you know, what a shining example John Kent is for how doing things the right way and making the right decisions. Like, again, there's a lot to mine there, especially emotionally. I guess you come to expect expect that from a, a Tom Taylor book. Just a couple of things to pick up on. I, The one thing that Ultraman and the Injustice Superman have in common is that neither one of them have sons. And Ultraman never had a son. And isn't it interesting that of all the Superman, I mean, uh, Val Zod even stated it in the issue, uh, or it might have been uh, Red Tornado, that of all the all the Superman in the in the universe, most of the John Kents are very young. And in only one of the universe, and they alluded to the deceased universe, is John Kent actually an adult. That's why they couldn't go and get John Kent from another universe and why they chose this particular John Kent to confront Ultraman. But it's interesting that John Kent, uh, it's interesting that, 
Injustice Superman and Ultraman both are childless. And you got to wonder, maybe the fact that they don't have a son um, is that, you know, is that somehow it's just interesting that they, they lost their way. And the irony is that, you know, this Injustice Superman might be able to find his way toward the better side of the angel, so to speak, because of John Kent. Uh, and so it, it's interesting. It's also interesting that, you know, what was what what was missing in Ultraman's life that he felt he needed to. I mean, he must have had felt some kind of or desired some kind of bond to John, even though, he, you know, he didn't want him to. He wanted to control him. He didn't want to lose the potential connection that this. Although John Kent wasn't his son, he probably has, you know, he thought of him like his son and, you know, but in his own twisted way was keeping him in that volcano. That That's what I was sort of thinking that Ultraman was thinking. And I was hoping to get into Ultraman's head that Tom Taylor would do that, but we're not going to do that. So it's, but you're right. It's Tom Taylor might have other ways to try to get into John Kent's head. But one of the things though, that is what, what I, what I, I'm going to go back to that I do find disappointing is it's it's this this idea that injustice Superman has something to learn from John Kent. Sure, John. I mean, John Kent is talking is spouting more wisdom here than Wonder Woman. Now, I've criticized Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman is an idiot and doesn't have the wisdom of the gods. But I mean, what what John Kent, young young seventeen slash eighteen year old John Kent, is talking here? He's talking about someone clearly, clearly beyond his years when he's talking about practically invulnerable and still ruled by fear all that power and absolutely no strength he sounded like his father where is he getting this wisdom from there was no like i would have thought that the moment he saw ultraman he should have been petrified no ptsd no immediate fear reaction when he saw ultraman he immediately jumps into action like a hero no no fear no nothing that's a significant miss for me because there's no way you're going to tell me he doesn't have some residual fear of Ultraman. Seven years traumatized by this guy in a volcano. There should have been something there, but it's just completely breezed over. And, you know, you know, maybe it's because we're going to have a Superman legacy movie coming out and people confuse the son of Superman with Superman in the comics because they're nonsensically calling him Superman just like his dad. Um, I don't know, but I just, I, I do have... You know, as much as I love the cool fanboy moments here, I do, I, you know, where's the character growth for John Kent? I mean, no flaws, flawless, flawless. Seven years deprived, told his mommy, Lois, that he was tortured for seven years and yet shows no evidence of it, either mentally, psychologically or otherwise. There's been no ill effects to John Kent whatsoever and why? And if your answer is, well, he was raised right, no, he wasn't. He was, well, he was, but he was raised right for the first 10 years and then seven years of trauma and no ill effects. I find that hard to believe, but I beat that dead horse enough. I, I'm, by the way, I love this. I love this series. I'm curious to see where Tom Taylor is going to take it. And I share your hope that he's going to bring it in and make it all come down to, because John Kent needs to come to terms with what happened in that volcano. This, this issue was called Out of the Volcano. That's the actual, that's the title of the entire issue, Out of the Volcano. Countdown to Injustice, Chapter 2. Well, okay, he's definitely out of the volcano. He's been out of the volcano a long time, and apparently there's no effects. But in any event, uh, I, yeah, I, I disagree. I, I disagree wholeheartedly that there's no effects. Um, John doubts himself way more than he should. He did it throughout Tom Taylor's uh, Superman Son of Kal-El run. Um, but how do you know that's from Ultraman? Any kid doubts himself. He, he, he's That's because he was aspirations to his dad. There, you, there, none of that was tied that, into Ultraman. None of that was tied into the volcano. But you don't know that. You don't, you, don't know, you don't know that it is. You don't know that it isn't. But my point stands that oh. 
it could be. And also in this particular issue, John lashes out in anger. Uh, you know, as soon as Ultraman shows up and punches him, he fires, you know, full out uh, heat vision at Ultraman immediately jumps on immediately starts fighting that is not the jaunt ken that we know like he's completely unhinged right yeah the point that, that's being, true like, he fought back yeah he yeah. fought back physically yeah, yeah. so you, you're right you yeah. know so and yeah. and, and i want to point out you know tom taylor told us specifically that in his idea and again you know we can debate whether it's it was a good idea or not was for john kent to never punch or hit anyone his superman son of kal run and he accomplished that except for one panel where apparently John punched somebody and it slipped through and Tom missed it. Um, but so, so my point being, this is a big departure from the John Kent that we've seen before. And you, you do understand it. So I think there are work consequences for, for that. The other thing that I wanted to mention real fast, I forgot, I forgot to talk about it was kind of maybe in a little bit of fan service moment. Um, there is dialogue between Val Zod and John Kent early on this issue when they travel Um to you know the place of the latest superman's death and, and see ultraman there and uh there's mention john says you know why why did you pick me and they basically say well in all the other multiverses all the other different realities of the dc universe you're not aged up it only happened in this only in this one other than you know, deceased reality. yeah yeah they, they said so only in this reality uh did bendis age you up and then the rest <laughs> yeah and, and and yeah and 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 yeah. deceased and they do make mention of that though there's one other yeah. reality uh but you know it's filled people or whatever they say um but so yeah it is it, it does remind people as much as they still hate the fact that john kent was aged up and don't get me wrong i've sort of come around to accepting it because i have no other choice if i had my choice i still would rather john be young and you know going through <laughs> growing up uh, with his parents, but this is the reality that we have yeah. and it's too late to go back. Um, but that's not to say that you can't still have a super sons book or stories in another multi, another part of the DC multiverse where John is still a kid. He's still a kid in most of them. Um, and unfortunately we live in this one where he's not. So anyway, uh, I think we've talked about adventures of Superman, John Kent more than enough. Let's move on. Flash number seven ninety six. One Minute War finale, one more minute from writer Jeremy Adams. Pencils by Roger Cruz, George Combatas, and Fernando Passerin. Inks by Williston Diaz and George Combatas with Eau Claire Albert. And then colors by Luis Guerrero, Matt Herms, and Pete uh, Pantazis. Letters by Rob Lee. I'll talk about the art first. Uh, love the Fernando Passerin art. Roger Cruz art is okay. I'm not a big fan of George Combatas uh, art be just because it's so stylized. If the whole book was like that, um, then it would be a little bit better. But when compared to the other art, it, it just, it looks, it, it's so disconcerting to have the art style change from, you know, one page to the next. So I understand that obviously we moved to um, twice a month flash, bi-weekly flash instead of monthly flash uh, when this event kicked off. And I'm fine with that because I'm fine with more Jeremy Adams written books, but they should have given them maybe a little more time to get ahead whether that was Roger Cruz or Fernando Passerin or whomever, so that one artist could have done the whole, could have done the whole thing. Um, I just, it, it's so jarring. That being said, I give tons of credit to Jeremy Adams for making a fun story, an interesting story. It completely made sense the way everything wrapped up. Uh, 
multiple different heroes got to have heroic moments, whether that be Barry Allen or Wally West. You know, this book is called The Flash. We get some great um, Max Mercury moments. We get some impulse moments. Linda even has a moment. Um, I just really enjoyed this. And Jeremy gets to play with Gold Beetle again, you know, a character that he, he co-created who – you know, is from the future and is dropping hints and, and whatnot. And I love it, right? Jeremy is one of us. He loves these characters so much. We know he's off of Flash. It seems clear that he's got a lot more stories to tell of the of the DC multiverse. And, you know, Flash is the perfect title for him to be on to tell those kind of stories. Because he's constantly, whether it be Blue Beetle or, or Wally or whomever, uh, a gold beetle rather, but mostly gold beetle because she's from the future. He's constantly dropping of other things that have happened. Oh, don't tell so-and-so this because that hasn't happened yet and all that. So, But Jeremy, I guarantee in, in Jeremy's head, he knows what that story is. So I love that. I love the hints that are dropped. I love seeing gold beetle. Uh, I want a gold beetle series. I want Jeremy Adams to be writing it as much as I don't. You know, I was saying how DC uh, publishes too many books. And just a, one other point I wanted to make that I forgot earlier. See, the problem DC puts out so many books, it's because half the books are Batman. So you would have room for a bunch of different characters if you didn't put out so many Batman books and overwhelm yeah. us with Batman. But but anyway, back to The Flash. I loved the comeuppance for Admiral Vell here. It was such a great um, resolution. It's a reminder that the uh, this book, this issue, this conclusion is a reminder that the Flash is a family, which I go back and forth. You and I have both expressed this before. How it, when you create a family based on a character, it makes the you know the original character so much less special, right? Like think about Spider Man or Venom. You know, there's so many different symbiotes now. There's so many different Spider Man, so many different Batman for that matter. Um, and we've got the same thing with Flash. Superman's doing it now, a Superman family book. Um, so I get it. But at the end of the day, it's DC loves its legacy. And this ended up being a really fun series. It started off really great. Um, the best issues weren't in the middle. And it felt like it was a little bit to do with the art and the pacing. Um, but it ended on such a high note. So for me, like the first couple issues and this finale were – were just fantastic and again i know i'm 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 nitpicking on the art but it just man if if this whole thing could have been drawn by passerin or roger cruz with enough time so he could have given us quality work like he did on robin for me this uh, event would have been even better so i probably you know overall for the whole event give it a b i'd give this final issue an a um but the whole thing could have been an a with better art in my mind um so, yeah, it, the way I felt when I finished reading this was, wow, that was good. What a great conclusion. Redemption for Wally West, even beyond what Jeremy Adams has done before. I know you'll talk about it with uh, some of the Heroes and Sanctuary heroes. Um, but I, I end up just feeling, God, I don't want Jeremy to leave the Flash. I want – don't yeah. get me wrong. I can't wait to see what he does on Green Lantern. I just – you know, and that, not to say I don't enjoy Cy Spurrier's work. There's plenty of books I've read from Cy Spurrier that I love, but – Cosmic horror for the Flash. I, I, that's not something I'm looking forward to. This, this is the Flash that I want to continue. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, time to fire some editors at DC. 
you don't remove Jeremy Adams off the flash. Pay attention to sales. Listen to fans. This this is not rocket science, but apparently it is for some people. But regardless, uh, I like I, I actually enjoyed the art this issue because it was better. I agree with you that while it was not necessarily consistent, I liked all of it. And it just felt, it felt more, I just liked the art better. It just felt more like a speedster comic. It just, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I love the Sanctuary Heroes. They're alive. And I love that Gold Beetle. We get a call back to one of the early issues of Jeremy Adams where Gold Beetle showed up and, and where Wally West was in the body of Impulse. And, 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 and Impulse, while Wally was in the body of Impulse, told Gold Beetle, save the people, save the other people of the Sanctuary. And Gold Beetle actually does that. <laughs> she actually saved all of them except for Roy Harper, who ended up being saved through other means. And it's just, it's so fun. And all this leading to a happy ending. And yet it all makes sense. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel Duke Ek Machina. They've earned this victory. You know, Barry Allen, you know, he thought of, you know, his plan to, to reverse time by using the buildup of the speed force energies to reverse the spire. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. The uh, comeuppance of Admiral Vell, which you alluded to, uh, Jace, uh, it's the, the revelation that Admiral Vell is in fact a, an organic conduit himself. In other words, Admiral Vell himself is in fact a speedster. He doesn't need the organic suits like he does the artificial conduit vests that the members of the fraction, uh, the army of the fraction, all the soldiers wear artificial conduit vests, which allow them to artificially uh, tap into the speed force. Well, those vests are removed. And when they're removed, they, they of course, they're, they're in stasis. They can't move because they, they're not part of the speed force anymore. And the way that they remove the vests and, and, and the way that all this, this battle plays out and all these moving parts and all these speedsters all over the place. This, it, so much is happening, but it makes sense. And it's, it's, it's a fun read. It's a good read. You know, a lot's at stake. And yet the dialogue is great. There's Easter eggs to previous issues. Uh, because Jeremy Adams, he had a, he, he was, one of the benefits of Jeremy Adams being a surprise to both readers and clearly editorial, because he caught off he caught editorial off guard more than readers, because we readers saw it early on, is that is that this really is Jeremy's baby. And he, you know, he really is giving us the Easter eggs and he can do these callbacks to his previous plot points. And there's payoff here in this issue. And that's what I love about it. And I, I did early on like you, I I did I do think that this flash uh, one minute war could have benefited from more consistent art. And I think better art, quite frankly, uh, because I think editorial had they known that this was, I think this was, they had money in a bottle here. I mean, oh man, this, this could have been visually even better than it is, uh, but it's ended on a high note, I think visually. Uh, and I, I love, I love how it ends with gold beetle. There's, I can't wait to see gold beetle again. She doesn't want to meet Jay because it, you know, because she's, the gold beetle is so used to living in, in different timelines and interacting in timelines. She knows she doesn't want to jeopardize the first meeting with Jay and it's, she, she can't meet Jay now. And she, you know, you could tell she's in love with Jay and, but his older self. And, uh, it's, and then, and then of course it, I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, you know, Barry Allen runs, runs back to Iris just before Iris is pissed off about to leave. And cause Iris was, was in the process of proposing to Barry Allen when the spider attacked, when the fraction attacked. That moment, beautiful moment between Barry and, and Iris, uh, the type of moment that you want. There's just a, there's just multiple happy endings all around. And final, 
as, as if we thought we thought there was already redemption for heroes in crisis. <laughs> but now we got all the heroes in crisis heroes alive, thanks to the time point, the flash planet. And we now know that there's an extra power, an extra ever since the surge uh, happened, which uh, happened at in heroes in crisis. That surge has created a, a phenomena amongst flash uh, speedsters that apparently if they if they build up enough speed force energy and they won't actually die, they'll be transported to time point otherwise known as as flashpoint as a way of safeguard so that seems to be almost like a quasi de facto additional superpower now that the flash has as a safety point to prevent them from being killed uh potentially as long as they can access the speed force they can perhaps avoid death it's a way to further protect themselves by transporting themselves to a time point i.e uh the flash planet so so many easter eggs great plot points uh high high recommend uh, definitely worth something to pick up. Uh, I do think this will be uh, a relatively easy read as a, as a trade paperback compilation. I recommend this to readers. And it's just so sad to see Jerry, Jeremy Adams go. I hope they bring him back uh, for multiple guest appearances. Or, or Hey, look, we, we got a Flash family. There's no reason why Jeremy Adams can't be writing another Flash comic. Hey, why not? Yeah, Impulse or, you know, if... I, yeah. I don't know who I don't know who the main Flash is in Cy Spurrier's book. Is it Barry Allen? Is it Wally West? Yeah, why not? A, you know, a Flash family start. You know, if if Cy Spurrier is using Barry Allen, let's say, to give Jeremy Adams Flash family with with Wally and the rest of the Speedsters, or you know, Wally and his kids. I mean, don't get and, and everybody don't don't misunderstand. Jeremy Adams is leaving the Flash, but but not yet, right? I mean, we still have another That's four right. issues. His, his last issue is eight hundred, so. We do That's still right. have more to come, um, you know, and, and looking forward to, to, you know, what else he has uh, to offer us before he leaves. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman and the Joker Deadly Duo number six, story and art by Mike Silvestri, colors by Arif Prianto. Um, I, there are some fantastic covers on this issue as well, but in the credits that we get in the um, – in the preview, okay, the, I didn't scroll far enough back apparently. So yeah, there's a Bill Sienkiewicz cover, a Guillaume March cover, a Mark Silvestri one in 50, and then a John McRae and Mike Spicer one in uh, 100. So um, I'll give, I give Mark Silvestri all the credit in the world. Now, this is the perfect example of giving a creator the time that he needs to create the story that he wants to create, the story he wants to tell. Um, it, Silvestri's done a fantastic job of giving us a great story. Uh, you know, he's mostly known for his pencils and whatnot, but I, I have to say that this story is so good. It's so good. Uh, again, I'm a fan of Mark. I'm a fan of his work. I'm a fan of his pencils. Uh, but for him to give us this good of a story <clears throat> excuse me it's it's phenomenal it is so fantastic and it starts right from the beginning of this issue where he gives us a recap like you could pick up this issue and granted you all have missed out on a lot but you could pick up this issue and just read the narration from batman in just a couple of pages and you know exactly what's going on it is laid out if you've been lost if you don't understand what's been happening it is all laid out for you. Um, and it's just, it's so good. It's so good. I'm so impressed. 
with what Mark has done. Um, yeah, it's just a phenomenal job all, all around by him. And uh, I can't say enough about how interesting and how fun and just how comic classic comic booky goodness this is, uh, you know, and, and again, that's just talking about the story that he's given us. And when you talk about his line work, the textures and the art, the, the visual storytelling, it's all top notch. And I got to think if DC had gone to Sylvester and said, well, you know, it's been two years you've been working on this. We really need to get it out there on the stands. Let's go, let's go, let's go. This story would be nowhere near as good, right? Like, and I'm not taking anything away from Mark by saying, uh, you know, the story wouldn't have been as good, but it's just, it's just giving him the time to, to, to do what he needs to do, both artistically and narratively from a writing perspective to say, I don't know what's changed. I imagine I'll have Mark on the show, hope point to talk about that. But when you live with the story for such a long time, you can say, Oh, you know what? Now that I've, you know, I'm on the end of issue three, I realized that thing I did back in issue two, it would be better if it was like this. And he's got the time to go back and change it. You know, whether that's a change in art, a change in the way things are laid out, a change in the actual story itself, a plot point, story beat, whatever. This is what happens when you give creators the freedom and the time. And I understand financially it can be tough, but that's if you look at DC's coffers, right? Like, look, at, let's look at Warner Brothers. Let's look at AT&T. Let's look at Discovery. They've got the money. Like, this is peanuts, right? When you talk about how much they spend on movie development for movies that don't even happen or a movie that's completely done and finished, like Batgirls that you just stick in a drawer. So you can't tell me that you can't afford to pay these artists what, and writers, what they deserve to be paid and give them the time to give you your best work. Because here's the, the other side of the coin, right? I guarantee you this Batman deadly duo or Bat Batman Joker, the deadly duo story, this is going to be an evergreen story. This is going to sell and trade very well year after year after year after year because it's going to have Sylvester's name on it. It's going to say Batman. It's going to say Joker. And it's going to have fantastic name recognition. And it's been very well received critically. So, you know, just like The Killing Joke, just like The Long Halloween, just like uh, Batman Year One, Le uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, this book is going to stand the test of time and it's going to make DC money year after year after year after year in the long run, long after they've paid Sylvester whatever they needed to pay him. So you got to take a longer look. You got to take a longer view and let these creators take the time. And also fans have to understand, you know, we're all sort of used to the, the monthly uh, release schedule. You know, maybe that's not, if you want the best work, I mean, we just talked about Flashpoint, how it would have been better if the artist had had more time. We could have got one artist and it would have taken as long as it takes, you know, but again, I, I get it. The model in comics, the retail model is, is broken, <laughs> has been for a long time. I don't think we're going to, it's going to change anytime soon, unfortunately, but uh, this quality story, th these story beats, all of it is so good. Um, and this is the product of what, uh, what happens when you give a creator the time to, to, you know, to, to create what they want to create. So uh, I'm sure Rocky will talk about more about the story because um, it's really interesting the way it plays out. Um, but one last thing I'll, I will mention is at the end, Batman has a key. 
it looked like a locker or lockbox, some some sort of something. That, and he puts it around his neck. It's you know one of those kind of tropey moments. He puts it around his neck and he's like, you know, come and get it. You know, come and take it from me. And him and the Joker go fist to fist, uh, toe to toe, however you want to say it. But here's the thing: I've said it many times, and I'm not blaming Sylvester for this because this is just a dynamic that the Joker has in the DC universe. Batman with all his training, Joker with none of his physical training. Batman would kick his ass and like. One punch, you know, the whole blah, ha, ha, one punch. That was Guy Gardner. Joker's even less formidable physically than Guy Gardner. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. But, yeah. you know, I get why you do it for the sake of the story, and this is the Joker that we get. But, yeah, I will always make the argument. Part of the reason I don't care for the Joker is the Joker shouldn't be a challenge for Batman. You know, long enough time period for him to plan and set up something where Batman's got to go and save a bunch of people. Yes, that's a threat, whatever. But, like, physically, one-on-one? No, no. Batman beats the crap out of the Joker in, in three <laughs> seconds flat. So, uh, Anyway, what did you think? Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I did. And uh, there's payoff to the this, this story here. And of course, this this doesn't end the series. This is issue six. I'm not sure. Is there only one issue left or two? Well, yeah, I think one. I think one issue left. I think it's seven. Yeah. So one issue. Because uh, uh, the story really picks up here. Uh, you. you there's a wonderful, the very first page is a perfect summary of the story so far. So you could literally pick up this, this particular issue and you're immediately caught up to speed and it clarifies some plot points. If so, if even if you were somewhat confused, you got one page, it clarifies basically everything. And in a nutshell, we got Donald Sims. He's a businessman. Years ago, he is uh, at the wedding of his daughter, Amanda Sims. Joker crashed the party uh, somewhat accidentally and Amanda Sims ends up getting killed. Donald Sims does experiments through his corporation and ends up creating a slash a virus of some kind that uh, ultimately ends up uh, through all kinds of machinations resurrecting uh, essentially uh, under the guise of a cure. Uh, it ends up uh, a cure for various muscular diseases or whatever ends up uh, resurrecting the dead or, or, or giving life to dead tissue. And his daughter, Amanda Sims, comes to life and she's revealed to be the villain here. And the art here is absolutely graphic. You can tell this is absolutely black label. There's violence here that you would not normally see in a in a, a level of violence that you don't always see in a Batman comic. At one point, Amanda Sims, in beautiful art again by Sylvester, Amanda Sims actually rips the head, rips her father's head clean off and shows it to Batman. I mean, this is hardcore stuff. And it's revealed that the Joker was actually working in conjunction with Amanda Sims. So Joker was working with this psycho, psycho bitch, psycho undead bitch. And Joker's ultimate agenda is to get this key that Batman has around his neck at the end of the issue that you, that you mentioned. And we're not really sure what the key, what the key is for, but uh, I want to give a shout out to Harley. The way Harley is depicted, I miss this Harley. I miss this psychotic or evil Harley. This is a Harley the way she used to be drawn. Not a Harley who was a victim of the Joker, abused by the Joker. She abused the Joker as much as she was abused. Harley Quinn, bring back this Harley Quinn. I don't want to, you know, as some feminist icon. Please, it's a psychotic bitch. That's Harley I know and love. This is a Harley that is jealous. Of, she's jealous. She's jealous. This Harley is jealous of the Joker and Amanda Sims. And she and she's uh, she threatened she's going to harm the Joker if she doesn't find out what's going on here, uh, you know, Joker. And... Uh, I, I love this Harley Quinn. I love her. I, I love her violence. I love her attitude. This is evil Harley Quinn. This is the way I like her. Not this multiversal traveling 
doofus that we've seen in uh, this this comedic parody, whatever the hell DC's trying to portray her as in the pages of her own comic, which I'm just, I'm so sick of. We've gotten a decade of that. Enough already. Bring back evil Harley. Bring back Joker Harley. Bring back Joker's my boyfriend and I love him Harley. That's what I want to see. Uh, dysfunction, I don't care. I'd rather have that dysfunction. Show me the humor in that. You know, you're never getting, you're never getting the Harley subservient to Joker in that terrible relationship in this reality. You're just no, not. No, but it's not subservient. This is this is the, the Harley in this comic is is an equal. I I agree with you 100%, but yeah. the powers that be see that relationship as toxic. We mm. can argue whether or not that's true or not. It yeah. doesn't seem to be a toxic relationship the way that Silvestri portrays it here. Other writers have portrayed it, you know, where she is subservient and she is being exploited. My point being, because of that, yeah, yeah. in the main continuity, we're not getting it back. Yeah. It is fun to see here. I but do agree. I, I, uh, and this is why I think this is just one factor that's going to contribute to this. You mentioned this being an evergreen. That's one of the factors. It's the little thing. He, they get the little characters right. Batman right. Joker right. Harley Quinn right. The villains right. The graphic, the, the graphic, the violence right. Commissioner Gordon right. All the little things, they've nailed it. Uh, because the they little don't have characters to... like Batman, Harley Quinn, eh, maybe you've heard of them, Joker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I see what you're saying, though. Yeah, yeah. I see, yeah. But it's just, it, it, this is a fun comic and this is the way that you want these classic renditions of these characters and, uh, you know, they're less concerned about continuity and just, the, it's the black label aspect of it and it just works. I, I I love it and it ends with a, you know, we're going to be having a, we have a confrontation with the Joker and Batman at the end of it. But the, this, the visuals for Amanda Sims, she looks so awesome with these dark, glooming black eyes. She looks intimidating and terrifying as hell. I, I want this character to return. I want Amanda Sims to, to return and be be a villain for Batman, not just in this deadly duel, but I want her to survive this and actually remain a, a member of Batman's rogues gallery because she looks intimidating and terrifying as hell. So I, I, I love this issue and I'm really curious. I'm, I can't wait to see how it, how it all wraps up. Yeah, I don't disagree. There's the fantastic scene where um, Amanda Sims' arm gets cut off and it's still like choking Batman. And then she goes yeah. over and like sticks her stump next to it and like reattaches itself. Like yeah. Yeah, just fantastic, fantastic moments like that throughout this issue from, uh, <laughs> from Mark Silvestri. So it's, yeah, there's no doubt that this series has been a whole hell of a lot of fun. Um, so again, it's whether or not we get Amanda Sims showing up in the regular continuity, you know, I don't know, but I certainly would welcome that. I think it would be uh, a lot of fun. So uh, moving on, we have up next uh, Fables. This is not a book that I read, so I'll let Rocky take away. It's issue number 158, Bill Willingham, writer, creator, Mark Buckingham, penciler, co-creator, Steve Leo, Aloha, inker, Lee Luffridge on colors, Todd Klein on letters. So what are your thoughts? Uh, well, this series has to do, uh, for those who have been following it, uh, these, this is, uh, the Black Forest, uh, the Black Forest series. It's part, 
It's part eight, eight of 12. And essentially what's happened is that the Mondays now are known to be in the real world. Their, their existence is known to humanity. And Big B Wolf wants to take over the Black Forest when the Black Forest encompasses most of the world. And But he's competing with uh, Jack in the, a character called Jack in the Green, who also wants to, who fancies herself the the. The, the most powerful in the Black Forest and also Hermie, the god of trees and beasts. So we got sort of uh, these three characters, Jack and the Green, Bigby Wolf and Hermie sort of fighting for supremacy there. Uh, and But Peter Pan and, Tink and Tinkerbell, Peter Pan is a psychotic individual, absolutely psychotic. And he wants to, uh, unlike, the, uh, unlike the adversary who was Geppetto, uh, Peter Pan basically wants to take over and he wants to essentially destroy all magic. He wants to destroy all the talking animals. Whereas Geppetto was kind of like a big picture kind of guy. And those are the words in the comic. Uh, he, he was sort of like the world leader. Uh, he was like the he ruled many many worlds. He looked at the big picture. He wouldn't he wouldn't resort to genocide to wiping out masses of of magical creatures. He would seek to manipulate them to and so he wouldn't he wasn't really like a, a a killer in the conventional sense. He always had a game afoot. Peter Pan is different, and unfortunately, Peter Pan for Peter Pan he confronts uh, Connor Wolf uh, while they're playing their wolf games, and uh, he doesn't have Tinkerbell. And without Tinkerbell, Peter Pan is fairly powerless and he gets his ass kicked by Connor Kent, almost Connor Kent, sorry, Connor Wolf. And he almost he almost dies. And uh, Connor Wolf makes the mistake of not killing him. So we know that Peter Pan's going to return. Ultimately, I'm assuming this is heading for toward a big battle between Big B Wolf, the Big Bad Wolf, Jack in the Green and Hermie, the God of Trees and Beasts. And if you're fans of fables, you know what I'm talking about. A lot to look forward to. This is a lot of fun. I guess spend more time talking about it because I but I know a lot of, a lot of people probably don't uh, read it and, and it's unfortunate uh, and um, it's it's fun it's a fun read it's uh, and if you're a fan of fables it's to me it's a must read and so I, I it was definitely one of the highlights of the week uh, almost my pick of the week but I'm going to give that to another comic when we get to that but but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And Mark Buckingham's art is fantastic. If you've been following Fables from the beginning, there's only ever been one artist. And uh, that's Mark Buckingham and, and uh, Steve uh, Leola, uh, uh, the inking. Leola. and Yeah, Leola and uh, Lee, Lee Lowridge on the colors. Great comic, man. If you're, uh, if uh, you know, if you, you, you say you've not read on Injustice, definitely a comic book series to read. Uh, and Fables too, if you ever have time to give that a, give that a look-see as well. Yeah, you know, part of the reason, I think I've said this before, part of the reason that I um, have never read Fables. So my wife used to watch this show on ABC called Once Upon a Time, I think it was called. And yeah. it's sort of similar. Yeah. Uh, to this. Similar God, concept. did I just, yeah, did I dislike it? I never watched it and maybe I haven't given it a fair shake, but I'd catch snippets of it here and there. Yeah. And I just didn't, it, it wasn't for me, overacting yeah. and just. Yeah, yeah. So, Fables is better. The comic is so much better than that show, Once Upon a Time. Good yeah. God. It's an unfair yeah, comparison. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe it's an unfair comparison for me. But but the whole. I mean, I didn't even hear about Fable because Fables came out way before. It, for all I know, the people that uh, produced or created Once Upon a Time, you know, stole the idea from from uh, uh, from Bill Willingham here. I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's part of the reason I've never okay, yeah. uh, I've never read it. So anyway, <clears throat> up next we have Batman number one thirty four. The Batman of Gotham, Part 4, Chip Zdarsky, writer, Mike Hawthorne on pencils, Adriana D. Benedetto on inks, Tomeo Moray on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Um, 
because I have thoughts, but uh, you go first. Um, I enjoyed this. It was it, it was uh, it was actually there's a lot of action in this issue. Uh, this was uh, this was basically Batman uh, Bruce Wayne in this. Uh, we we Batman was uh, just a quick recap. Fail safe. We did, he didn't kill Batman. He sent him into a different part of the multiverse. He lands on this earth where there is no Batman, where Bruce Wayne has been killed. And uh, there is this uh, red mask villain that he has to confront. And Bruce Wayne, uh, Batman becomes Batman again on this other world without a Batman. And he befriends this new, this, this Catwoman. And everyone's a little bit darker. And the main villain in this vi is this guy by the name of uh, Jackson Holiday. Or I, I mean, Dar Darwin Holiday. Yeah. yeah, Darwin Holiday. And this Darwin Holiday is the Joker of this particular universe. And uh, in uh, this, this Darwin Holiday is actually someone who, uh, in his, he was essentially, he was kind of a, he was. He managed and was the CEO of a pharmaceutical empire. And in a, in a lab accident, he saw a vision of his perfect self. And the perfect self he saw was he saw a vision of himself as the Joker, which he saw. He basically saw a version of his multiversal self. So other versions of Darwin Halliday in the, in the multiverse are is the Joker. And so his yeah, let me, dream. Let me, hold on, let me stop you right there, Rocky, because um, yeah. we had speculated that it possibly could be a speedster. We saw him using uh, speed. <laughs> powers previously yeah. so interesting it's almost like a mashup of the flash and the, the joker here because he you know we see the accident he talks about maybe the you know his co-workers in the lab or his underlings in the lab didn't like him and they sabotaged his experiments and yeah. so yeah he has a bunch of chemicals <laughs> so i definitely got the flash vibe yeah so interesting. yeah yeah, no. And uh, so it, it's interesting. I actually kind of like this. Uh, it's uh, what I like about this. Chip Sardaski's not he's not pissing around with the storytelling. And Batman needs Batman is headed. Batman is not pissing around. He wants to he's right in the tunnels of Gotham. He's he's Ar Arkham instead of an Arkham instead of an Arkham Asylum. There's an Arkham under the city and he's going straight for Darwin Darwin Halliday and he wants to take him out. But who shows up? But the uh, ghost, uh, ghost breaker. Instead of ghost maker, he's called ghost breaker, and he's got to get through ghost breaker. And uh, of course, that's the version of ghost maker. And but Batman has one edge over him, and that he's actually fought Anton. He's fought ghost maker before in his world so he actually has an edge because he he's already familiar with his fighting style whereas ghost breaker is not familiar with his fighting style so he manages to defeat ghost breaker while ultimately uh prevent uh being successful in preventing uh poisonous gas poisonous multiversal gas from being uh poor you know being dispersed all throughout gotham and and through arkham tower or what or the Ar arkham sub sub tunnels or whatever and so um it's very interesting there's a couple of moments here that baffled me though one in particular because we we as as batman is going through these tunnels he comes across all the he comes across all the villains and heroes that darwin halliday has managed to incapacitate and incarcerate namely one of them was lex luther uh, he came across Lex Luthor. One of them was the Speed Force. Uh, was the Flash himself was actually incarcerated, and uh, and then of all things, and this is what I didn't understand. Darren Halliday releases almost the, the versions of the Justice League to go against Batman, and Batman confronts Superman. And the only thing that didn't make sense to me in this issue is. Uh, 
even though this this Superman is taken over by Jason or Darwin Halliday, I don't know why Superman is afraid of Batman. I didn't understand that. He says, you're Batman and Batman. And Batman says, I walk as a man, but I am your nightmare. And I don't know. Did you understand that? Batman made his eyes roll in the back of his head. And no, it scared, it scared Superman. It, it didn't make any sense to me. What? No, I was going to ask you. Like, yeah, he, he rolls his eyes into the back of his head. Yeah. To show only the whites and says what he says. You know, and, and Superman gets all scared and flies off. I was like, what? What, what, I, I'm going to have to have Chip Sardaska explain that because on, on Twitter or something, because that makes no sense. Why would Superman be afraid of some, of just a, of a guy in a suit? Like Superman doesn't have a, he's not afraid of bats. Like I, I, I think, I feel like I've missed, I feel like I missed a plot point or something. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any maybe sense. A ref, yeah. Reference to some sort of obscure Superman yeah. story from the past. Like I, yeah, I have literally, I literally have no idea. I was, I was going to ask you the same thing. I yeah. No, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. That, so that's the one part that just, that, that kind of took me out of the story a little bit. That was a significant miss. Cause I, you know, I don't know why Superman would be afraid of some, you know, guy. And, and, and the other thing is, I didn't know Batman knew how to make his eyes go all white. Are you, do you know how to do that? Have you ever tried to I make your eyes go white and put them in the back? I don't know how to do that. Do you know how to do that? I can't, I cannot roll my eyes that far back. I can't uh, do it either. Apparently, I, know Batman I know there are some teenage girls out there who are experts at rolling their eyes and maybe they can make him go that far back, but yeah. I cannot. But anyways, he does look terrifying. When Batman rolls his eyes on the back of his head, he does look terrifying, but apparently terrifying enough to scare even Superman. And Superman had, was about to use his heat vision. So that's how intimidating Batman is. So uh, if you don't worry about heat vision, as long as you can roll your eyes on the back of your head, you'll scare off Superman, apparently. I Don't ask me how. But uh, um, uh, in any event... Batman confronts, uh, defeats Ghostbreaker, prevents the release of this gas. But then, but then Darwin Halliday releases uh, Leatherbringers or, or Leatherwings. These Leatherwings, which appear to be man-bat creatures, on uh, on the people of uh, on the citizens of Gotham. And uh, Selina Kyle ends up, you know, Bruce Wayne. Batman has faith in her. Tells her that, you know. I know you're a good person inside because this this Selena Kyle was seen to be perhaps a criminal, but no, she she also she was inspired by Batman uh, to embrace the better angels of her nature and helps out defeat the forces of uh, Darwin Halliday, and so it sort of ends with the battles are still in are still going on. The citizens are battling the leather wings, these man bat creatures, and Batman ultimately still has yet to confront. Uh, Darwin Halliday, who, uh, as you as you alluded to already, he seems Darwin Halliday likely has some superpower involving some kind of red mist. Uh, does he have speed force powers? Does he have some other force power? We don't really know yet. We're about to find out. And uh, yeah, so uh, there's a backup as well. But before we get there, what what are your comments on the main story? Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. Right, like I. I've maybe been a little unfair, a little harsh on Chip Zdarsky's Batman run. You know, maybe it's Chip's own fault uh, because his Daredevil run has been so cool and so grounded. DC is not Marvel. You know, Marvel, people say a world outside your window. We can argue whether that's true or not, but it certainly is a little more real than DC. DC is a little more fanciful. So, you know, maybe it was unfair for me to bring expectations and expect this to be sort of grounded 
and gritty, uh, maybe Chip's got a, diff- a different take. And that, that's that's what we've seen, right? We've seen this Batman who can fall from the moon and survive, which I still think that's just bad, bad <laughs> all the way around. Like I'll never be okay with that with that scene with that comic, but. Here it just seems Chip just is having fun, right? Like we're in this we're in this multiverse. We've got this different sort of Joker, this Joker that to me is more interesting uh, and maybe a, a bigger threat if he does actually have superpowers. And maybe you know I was just saying how in reality Joker couldn't stand toe to toe with Batman. Maybe this version of the Joker can, so that's interesting. So putting aside the weird Superman moment, like you said, this was pretty fun. It was great to see uh, Batman take on Ghost breaker you know slash ghost maker um great to see uh, bruce recognizing traits of his own uh, version of selena kyle in this great to see a different version of alfred leslie topkins all that sort of thing it's all interesting and it is something i I do sort of wish more writers would take advantage of like you talk about uh, editorial interference or i can't do this i can't do that just put them in an alternate reality dc's got so many different member you know uh uh places and it's multiverse you can tell any story you want not worry about continuity or whether it fits in canon or not by just moving them to a different part of the multiverse so i enjoyed that and you mentioned the leather wings that show up at the end because batman with his knowledge having fought anton before does put this version of Ghostmaker at a disadvantage and despite everything that batman's been through he is relentless he is um indomitable and he does you know win the day and stop the gas from being this multiversal poison gas from being released to allow darwin halliday to um, harvest uh, multiversal energy from all the citizens of gotham uh so of course halliday has a backup plan oh i'm just going to release the gas manually from these you know flying man bat like creatures these leather wings and uh I, i imagine mike hawthorne he's the artist here did the design on them they look so cool and it's so fun. And it was that moment, that final moment, seeing that image that just, you know, really kind of brought it home for me that Sadarsky is just having fun here. This is just fun. I will say yeah. that it's a little bit more of a superficial uh, take on Batman than we've had in a while. But yeah. um, probably, you know, I guess, I mean, Tom King was the last one that I feel like had an introspective Batman and, you know, th- that run had its own issues. And I know a lot of people didn't like it with Tynan. It was all action all the time with the Joker war and what have you and stripping Bruce down. And Zdarsky, he's, he's kind of in that same Tynan vein in that this is just action and sort of superficial. And we're not getting, you know, the introspection of Batman, which I, I sort of miss a little bit. But then I only have to pick up one of the other 17 Batman titles that come out if I you know, want a different take. So. It's perfectly fine. I'm not advocating for another Batman title at all by any means. Um, But no, this is fun. The Mike Hawthorne art, uh, you know, Hawthorne's art, some people don't care for it because it does have really thick lines. Um, There are times it works in this issue better than others. I think this is actually one of the better issues of his run so far. And maybe I'm just giving him a lot of credit for that final page there with the leather wings because they just look awesome. Yeah. Well, the uh, as for the backup, uh, the backup is uh, in case you're wondering who the character is in the backup, there's a giant R on Robin to distinguish him. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I just sort of chuckle every time I see that great big yellow R. That's the biggest that's the biggest 
time. It's the biggest R I've ever seen on a Robin character. <laughs> but I actually don't mind the costume on Tim Drake here. It actually looks not bad. Uh, it, it ends with uh, Superman is impersonating Batman. Uh, so the uh, villains of Gotham don't know that Batman's gone uh, or, or something. And uh, meanwhile, Tim Drake is, uh, he converses with, uh, they captured, uh, he, he captured Toy Man, and Toy Man is working with Mr. Terrific, and Toy Man has figured out a way, even though he doesn't know exactly where Failsafe sent Batman, Toy Man has figured out that since he knows the multiversal energy that Batman has being in our universe, he can he can sort of track where that multiversal imprint is in the multiverse. And so it looks as if uh, uh, Tim Drake is on his way to Batman. So uh, this is, uh, you know, this that's really all that happens in the in, in the backup, and uh, it's clear that uh, you know Tim Drake is is likely going to be just as things are coming to a head in the main story. Uh, Tim Drake is off to help Batman now at the end of this issue as well, and the timing is perfect. And so, just as things come to a head, given the uh, attack of all those leather wings, it's perfect timing because Batman will need all the help he can get between himself and Batgirl and this Tim Drake coming to his uh, rescue, so to speak. This might be a pretty interesting and fun payoff, and emphasis on the fun you were talking about. Yeah, I imagine fans of Tim Drake that aren't enjoying um, what Megan Fitzmartin is doing probably are going to love this. I It is a very different feel from what she's doing, and obviously the costume is very different. I sort of like it. Um, the only problem I have with it is, you know, Tim Drake, doesn't he doesn't have any powers at all. So, and that doesn't necessarily mean he can't do this, but to have him traveling through the bleed and, and what have you, like he doesn't have any... Uh, you know, endurance or stamina or any kind of, you know, heightened uh, constitution, you know, certainly no invulnerability. So, yeah, it is like, is this really what we wanted? But then again, I suppose Booster Gold doesn't, but he does have his shield. Um, so I don't know. I I, I mean, I kind of liked it. I, I couldn't help but see that image of of Tim Drake kind of flying through the bleed and being like, man, maybe, maybe this sort of a Tim Drake series would do well with him wearing this costume and traveling around. Um, he does sort of selfishly go and see his mom first, which I sort of feel like we would all do that if we had the ability to kind of travel to a different, you know, dimension or, you know, see somebody that was lost or whatever. So it wasn't like huge. It, it wasn't putting Batman in more danger or, you know, um, it, it wasn't morally objectionable or, or anything like that. It, it was just yeah. fun. But th that was sort of a reminder of, of who Tim Drake is. And, uh, and Zadarsky has a, you know, interesting take. I I would imagine because Chip and I are he's a little bit maybe a few years older than I am, but it wouldn't surprise me to know that he read that um, that classic Chuck Dixon. I think wrote a uh, Robin series that lasted you know whatever Tim Drake Robin series lasted 100 plus issues back in the day. So yeah, really fantastic. And also, um, I can tell that uh, Miguel Mendoca, who does the line work, and Roman Stevens, they're sort of uh, starting to click, right? I mean, I mentioned, um, I think it was the first issue of, of this story arc uh, for the backup where the, the art, I, I almost didn't recognize it as Miguel's art. It still doesn't quite look like Miguel's art to me fully uh, in terms of um, like what we got with, uh, what was it Justice League Last Ride? It's just not quite as dynamic, but it's, it's, it's still great, great art, beautiful art. Um, maybe the colors could be a little bit brighter. Everything seemed to have a little bit of a yellowish hue to it. I, so that was kind of weird, but 
man, it was a lot of fun to see Superman uh, impersonate Batman, <laughs> Batman as well and go flying up. So kind of reminded me of the old world's finest stories back in the day. So yeah, yeah. probably my favorite backup, uh, favorite are, are part of the backup so far, right? Part three it was better. Issue one was the weakest. Two was better. Three is even better. So it's gotten better all along, which is what you want. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, the uh, story that you said was kind of meh. So it's uh, the Joker who stopped laughing. Issue number seven. This is from writer uh, Matthew Rosenberg. We have art by Carmen A. Dijon Domenico, Ramula Fajardo Jr. on colors, Tam Tom Napolitano on letters. And then there's, there is a backup. It's written by Ronnie and, um, and Matthew Rosenberg uh, with Will Robson on art. Colors are by Hi-Fi and letters by Tom Napolitano. I, I enjoyed this, uh, as I said earlier, because Kate Spencer gets to show up. Does this move forward the, the story in any meaningful way? Does it kind of explain why there's two Jokers, possibly three Jokers? What's going on? What's the point of this series? No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> so I'm still sort of lost in that way. But um, I, I it wouldn't be so far out of character to – or far out of possibility to say this issue could be uh, an issue of Kate Spencer's Manhunter series. Other than, you know, it would be pretty heavy uh, in Joker because we get a lot of Joker point of view. We get a lot of Joker dialogue with him sort of narrating. And it does show that Matthew Rosenberg does have a good take on the Joker. I like the voice that he gives the Joker. But I'm just – I find myself wondering, again, what what is the point of this story? What exactly is going on? What, what does it mean, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing? Which Joker is the real Joker? What the hell is going on? I still don't know. We're seven issues in. Um, but if you set that aside, is this an enjoyable issue just on its own? Well, yeah, it's actually pretty action-packed. Like I said, if you're a fan of Kate Spencer, you get to see her in action. And this might be my favorite Carmine Dijon Domenico art I've ever seen outside of a Flash issue. Now, he's great at drawing the Flash because his art's sort of kinetic and, and sort of wild and out there. Um, for traditional superhero books, it works less so that I'm saying the Joker – uh, the Man Who Stopped Laughing is a traditional superhero book, but his art doesn't always lend itself to the best type of storytelling because it can be a little muddy at times. Um, but like I said, this is fantastic. There is a moment where Kate Spencer jumps off a motorcycle onto the police car that the Joker is driving with Mr. Pancakes and Mr. Waffles along for the ride. And she hammers her staff into the engine block and the car flips over and does all this sort of cool visuals from – Carmine, where he's sort of showing like with double exposure how the car is flipping through the air and ends up landing upside down on, on the roof. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's such a great visual. It's something that can't really be done in any other visual medium in this sort of static way where you can see, oh, first the car was oriented this way and then it was this way and then it was this way. I mean, I guess if you saw it on a TV show or a movie or what have you and you could – like pause and go frame by frame, you could kind of see it. Um, but it's just so fun. It's just so fantastic. So that really stood out for me. All credit to Carmine for making this a really fun issue. Um, visually, if I, again, standalone issue, it's enjoyable. As a series overall, I, I still just don't understand what's going on. And it may be one of those things where this issue, this whole series doesn't have 
as much context as we needed to have until we get to the end. We have seen that before, but Matthew Rose, and again, if he's, do, if he's doing that on purpose or that's just the structure of this story, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to play, you know, script doctor. All I'll say is if you look at other things that he's done, like his grifter story or task force Z, we enjoyed the ride the whole time. Like it was fantastic from issue to issue to issue. Um, this, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just waiting for the payoff still. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's just my bias that I don't care for the Joker. I'm not sure. But uh, as a standalone, as an action packed, as a, a chance to see Kate Spencer back in action, loved it. And it got me thinking, man, I, I wouldn't mind a Matthew Rosenberg, Kate Spencer, Manhunter written series, right? He seems to have a, a real penchant, a real flair for writing these characters that are sort of damaged um, psychologically or some kind of trauma or to have these personality quirks. I, you know, I'm thinking obviously of Cole Cash. Um, Kate Spencer Manhunter kind of along those lines, you know, she's she doesn't technically have superpowers. Uh, she's been through some stuff. She's got baggage, much like Cole Cash. Yeah. Rosenberg, he seems to have a real good handle. It gives those characters a really good voice. So uh, if this ends up being a backdoor pilot, so to speak, to use uh, television terms, into a Kate Spencer, Matthew Rosenberg series, I'm all for it. Um, now, who do we get to draw it would be the would be the thing. But anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on the main? And then we'll talk a little bit about the the backup. Yeah, it just, it just feels like it's, it's issue seven already. It just feels like I just... I just I've I've felt that I've wanted this story to end for a while. But having said that, I feel like this was an action-packed issue, and you can be you can be forgiven for forgetting for, for ignoring the fact that the story doesn't progress because of the action. It's almost like watching you know Fast and Furious number nine, ten, eleven, or twelve. I mean, really, there's never a plot in those movies, but there's just ridiculous action sequences, and it's kind of entertaining. Uh, I will say this: the Joker continuously talking to his driver called Waffles was kind of funny. And when it, when he turned to Waffles with Kate Spencer behind them, you know, Manhunter, you know, and chasing him, and he goes, "Jesus, Waffles, what did you do to piss this woman off?" <laughs> yeah. That was kind of funny. Uh, okay, I, I had its moments. And uh, in terms of the main narrative, I, I should say that there was one revelation here that the fake Joker, at least the one I think is fake. Solomon Grundy fixes up the fake Joker and tells the fake Joker that he has he that he has something in common with the with the joke with the fake Joker. And that is they are both dead. So now what's interesting is that the Joker is talking to Solomon Grundy, Solomon Gundry, Gundry, Solomon Grundy is in fact a dead, you know, a dead creature, right? An undead creature. So the fact that he sees this fake Joker as being dead like him, that might be a clue. Maybe, maybe this, you know, so how is this Joker alive? How does he have some sentience like Grundy does? So exactly, maybe... Does that help as to who this fake Joker is? Also, just to remind myself, to remind ourselves that last week we reviewed Gotham Ga Punchline, a Gotham game where one of the Jokers showed up in Punchline and I wasn't, was that the fake Joker? Was that this Joker? Or was it the, was it the actual one in LA? I don't know. Um, because I accused Teeny Howard of not getting the voice of the Joker. It didn't sound like the Joker. Is that because this is a fake Joker, but it didn't really sound like the fake Joker. 
So my, my confusion over this series, uh, unfortunately, has tainted my enjoyment of Punchline, the Gotham game. And uh, just when I, I want the, the writers of the uh, writers of DC Comics to, to communicate, just my luck, Teeny Howers actually communicates with another writer, uh, Matthew Rosenberg. Unfortunately, uh, it's <laughs> I'm still confused. So, <laughs> but in, in any event, I say that comically. I, I think it's I think I do. I think it's fair to say that the fake Joker is the one with Solomon Grundy, and the real Joker is the one in L.A. trying to make it back to Gotham to 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 officially kill this fake joker i think that this is where headed this that's where this is headed but i don't know is this a, is this an eight issue series or is this an ongoing i'm not even sure i yeah i'm not I, sure either um because at some point I mean, this has to end because i mean if this is going to be a 12 issue series good grief i mean it could be but it just seems like uh you know there's a lot of padding on this but uh, i agree with you on the art i mean the art uh de gamonico on the art is really really good so uh yeah. So yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it doesn't say on the cover. You know, seven of eight or seven of nine or whatever. Wait, seven of nine is that the Star Trek character? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the back of the Joker's running for president. It's as ludicrous and silly as it sounds, um, but in a way, all too possible. <laughs> I guess I'll say. Uh, you know, you could definitely see that happening um unfortunately but or fortunately depending on your point of view uh but in the end he becomes king of england instead which i guess either works you know they're both great jobs if you you know if you can get them um <laughs> i did i did i did really enjoy the the will robson art i thought was fantastic so um anyway what do you think of the backup uh, uh... I guess it's okay. I mean, it, it basically it's uh, he's running for president, and then all these assassins try to take him out, and, and they seem to be largely successful. But uh, the way that the Secret Service works in this Joker story is that they 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 acquire all the clowns, and so he's got body doubles, and so the Joker running as president continues to get assassinated, but they keep assassinating his body doubles, and eventually America runs out of clowns. <laughs> At which point Joker says, well, I'm not running for president anymore, <laughs> which and that makes the Terminator laugh and uh, it's it's comedy. And then rather than become president, he decides he's going to God save the king. He's going to become king of England. And and that's the story. So it's I have to admit, I did get kind of a chuckle out of it. You know, uh, although America running out of clowns, that's never going to happen. But um, um, yeah, anyways. plenty of clowns, not in makeup. <laughs> around here, <that's> <laughs> But the yeah. fact that the Joker could like actually be elected president is again, you want to say that oh, that's ludicrous, but ba you know, based on past experience, <laughs> politics yeah. Was yeah. yeah. Let, let's talk Our politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have some fun with it. Uh, yep, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, let's move on. Icon versus hardware uh, number two. Now, uh, the first issue was, I guess I'll say interesting like it it really it didn't necessarily portray hardware in the in the best light right so um you know he's he's supposed to be curtis metcalf he's supposed to be this really smart guy and yet he's messing around with time travel and he even says at one point he, he i don't care about the butterfly he tells his own self i don't care about the butterfly effect he's going back he's trying to change things he's playing god in a lot of ways and icon you know being a, a little more 
seasoned, a little more experienced is, is, you know, trying to explain to him why these things that he's doing, he shouldn't be doing. So um, it's fun. It's, and it's interesting. Um, if it, if not a little tropey, cause you're pitting these two milestone heroes against each other, but you can kind of understand. Um, and it's just, I don't know that this version of hardware, he, he hasn't really won me over yet. Uh, the rest of the milestone stuff has been so good and it's not never more apparent than actually to go back and talk about the first issue a little bit. When, when you get the recap pages for icon and rocket, it's like this, these long paragraphs to really kind of explain cause the story is so fleshed out. And then when you read the recap for hardware, it's like one paragraph because hardly anything <laughs> actually happened in that story, comparatively speaking, right? Um, mm. It's like this this guy is being persecuted, being blamed, you know, man on the run, fugitive type thing. So I don't know, just a, maybe a difference in tone. Maybe it's it's purposeful. They want one to be a little more sophisticated. They want one to be a little more grounded. Um, but yeah, Curtis Metcalf hasn't come across real good in this series yet but that being said it is it is interesting it's a compelling story uh, i didn't enjoy the second issue quite as much as the first even though there's a little bit more action and and we actually get some icon versus uh, hardware here we actually get them fighting um other than that we just we sort of see the consequences of this alternate timeline that curtis metcalf has created by going back in time um and then we get a surprise classic decent at the end. So overall, you know, for all my little nitpicks, I am enjoying this series. Um, and uh, I'll also say that unlike, say, Flash, One Minute War, we're talking about the inconsistency in art. Even though there's two different artists here, their styles are similar enough uh, that you don't even really notice unless you're really paying a lot of attention to the line work and the, the style. So overall, uh, it's it's pretty fun for being kind of the first milestone events, you know, quote unquote. So what are your thoughts? Uh, th this caught me off guard a little bit. I like you, when, when we reviewed the first, uh, the first chapter last issue, we were kind of surprised, but they were, they were doing the whole time travel thing about, you know, hardware should know better. He, he goes back and he, uh, he's going to change his, essentially change his own origin. And he even, uh, and he ultimately ends up killing uh, the CEO of Alvarez uh, Industries, uh, which was the formative part of his origin. And, and, and yet he doesn't, he doesn't really seem to care. He even stated he doesn't care if he's changing the timeline. And it seemed to be very, very reckless. And so, but this was like the icon and hardware, the milestone version of like maybe a flashpoint paradox. But interestingly enough, in this issue, we actually get even President Biden that shows up. One one of the things that has happened in milestone issues and you have I have we've talked about it is uh, they're not afraid to delve more into politics political issues one of the things in when uh, when you and I were reviewing uh, icon uh, icon and rocket I mean they, they wiped out the drug industry in the world and wiping out the drug industry the worldwide drug industry had an impact on world economics such that the world powers considered icon a threat because you're disrupting the drug trade the illegal drug trade is crucial for the monetary system or at least that's what that's the this theory that the writers were operating on and so here with president biden showing up with icon and hardware uh with icon basically when uh when when hardware changes time, he actually uh, becomes more influential and he actually develops a me mechanism to create more metahumans. And the United States government essentially tell tell him that, you know, Biden threatens, President Biden threatens hardware in this issue saying, look, you know what a pardon is? Well, the exact opposite of a pardon, 
that's what I'm going to do to you unless you arm and create metahumans for all of the U.S. Army. And that's what he does. And that creates conflict ultimately with Icon saying, hey, look, man, this plan of yours, you know, I know you want to save the world by making everyone, you know, you know, strategically creating metahumans, but it isn't going to work. And ultimately, at the end, what throws a wrench in a thing is Vandal Savage, of all people, shows up. You know, Vandal Savage made a surprise appearance in the pages of when we reviewed it, Batman, Gotham Knights, The Gilded Age, that video game comic. And uh, he actually, Vandal Savage, I think, made that a better comic as, as a villain. And it's very interesting to see here that Vandal Savage, the milestone version of Vandal Savage, shows up. Seems to be a little inconsistently, uh, well, I guess in, intentionally, or intentionally artistically rendered differently because they're they portrayed him in they draw him in different time periods but i'm really curious to see you know vandal savage we know uh we know that in the milestone universe superman you know did exist but was was killed by one of uh, icon's villains early on and so the the dc universe as we know it never developed uh in the milestone universe but it, it appears that that di it did not affect the existence of vandal savage so i'm really curious to see how vandal savage plays a role in in the milestone universe and it's this has wet my appetite so you know if anybody manipulates time usually vandal savage is the guy that's doing it and the irony here is that we have one of the heroes manipulating time and you got to see how that's going to affect vandal savage so uh, it's it's interesting yeah i i agree um vandal savage you know he shows himself off to rocket how is she going to take it uh yeah pretty interesting and, and i do enjoy the boarding school aspect as well um uh, giving a little bit of um like you said that they don't shy away from politics in the in the milestone universe at all so yeah i appreciate that um very much as well so uh, all right. Last book we're going to talk about in detail, Poison Ivy number 11. This is from writer G. Willow Wilson. Art is by Marcio Takara. Colors by Arif Prianto. Letters by Hassan Atzman Elhau. Um, kind of continuing a theme that we had this week in really good recaps. There have been really good recaps this week in a lot of these books. Um, and, you know, at times with what's been going on with the Lamia spores and jason woodrow's involvement and who exactly poison ivy is it it's been the book has been i don't want to say messy but it's been hard to understand poison ivy's motivations and in this issue uh i think it's a fantastic job by uh, g willow wilson of giving us a really good explanation the fact that ivy herself doesn't completely understand what's going on she feels herself changing, you know, who is she? Is she going to take things to extremes like she did at the beginning of the series? Is she going to go back to her villainous ways? How far is she willing to take it to protect the earth? That sort of thing. And she realizes that she, she herself is changing. She herself is trying to figure out who she is. Now, the only problem with that, that I see is, you know, she's on this sort of journey of self-discovery in a lot of ways, but uh, it, it does, in some ways, I think mess with her relationship with Harley Quinn to some extent. Um, and so it's like DC's sort of trying to have their cake and eat it too with, you know, who she, with who uh, Poison Ivy is and, and her relationship with, uh, with Poison I uh, with Harley Quinn rather. But, you know, does that work if she's out here trying to discover 
you know, who she is on her own. Like, so th there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Like if, if the relationship with Harley didn't exist, I think this would kind of land a little bit better, but if she loves Harley and they're actually in a relationship, shouldn't Harley be a bigger part of it? And I get that at the beginning of last issue, she was heading back to be um, with Harley in Gotham, but I don't know that that necessarily works. And, and really, I, I mean, credit G Willow Wilson. I don't know if this was what she would have, uh, the story she would have told regardless, but remember that when, after the events of, uh, wasn't it Joker war or was it the event that happened after Joker war? I can't even keep them straight anymore. Mm -hmm. Where poison Ivy was finally sort of her two different parts were sort of reunited her, you know, uh, sort of flesh colored self and her uh, yeah. queen Ivy. And yeah. 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 Like, and they were merged back together. And it was at that point where she told Harley, I need to go, you know, find out who I am. Um, and so whether that's G Willow Wilson was a party to that, or if she, like she would have, as I said, told this story anyway, it really works. It really works. And I'm not a big poison Ivy fan. And this has far and away been my favorite issue of the series so far. Um, but what were your thoughts? Well, uh, what's, what's the most interesting about this issue is that we get what I think, and I stand to be corrected on this. I'm not a poison Ivy expert, but I think we get a new superpower for poison Ivy. She apparently now, through the Lamia spores, if she can possess, you know, because she's with a group of women that they, they stop a semi-truck delivering oil, you know, because they're activists and that's what they, that's what they do. And apparently the truck, the, the trucker is not going to stop, which surprises them and, and it's about to hit them. But because all the women are infected by poison ivy with Lamia spores, La, uh, poison ivy can now, and these are her words, she says, I think I just discovered how to travel through the mycelial network. And so that allows her somehow to, they, they literally were absorbed into the dirt and through the, the, the spores. And I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing that because spores are everywhere in, in dirt and everywhere in the air that she can basically travel. She, she and anyone close to her that's also infected by the Lamia spores, she can basically teleport or transport through the mycelial network, which is wherever there's nature or dirt or something. Because that's what she does. She kind of like gets absorbed by the dirt in the road and then and then pops back up again after the after the truck drives over them. And and um, she is also able to it's almost as if she has a little bit. She's got some I she can almost mind control them a little bit or have she's got some influence on them and poison ivy here. And I want to I've, I've it's been hit and missing me with this series. Uh, but it's kind of grown on me, and I think maybe I'm slowly starting to get what J. Willow Wilson, writer J. Willow Wilson, is trying to develop for Poison Ivy because I wasn't sure if she had a handle on the character, but I think I'm starting to come around. Um, you know, Poison Ivy is someone, she's clearly going toward the anti-hero route, but she's very much, she's driven by the, she's she's goal-oriented, She's driven, she wants to do the right thing, she's still kind of searching for what that path is, but she's still coming to terms, I think, with this new, with these Lamia spores. It, there's still, there's, there's still fallout from that, and she does seem to have some degree of influence, and, and in this way, Issue. J. Willow Wilson does a good job establishing rapport between Poison Ivy and, and not not just the, the the one girl in her group that she's sleeping with, but there, there's there's more, and so there's um, there's there's actually some good character work here, not just with Poison Ivy, but with another character in the group who made a sacrifice herself, who was a former uh, 
person who a CEO, I think one member, a female member of the group who basically had good intentions to, to do right by the environment, but ended up becoming part of the problem. And, and poison Ivy, uh, actually exercises some degree of compassion, which quite frankly, we haven't seen poison Ivy display a lot of compassion, uh, certainly not toward men, here it's a woman and okay that probably has something to do with it because i mean i mean i i think it's i don't i don't say this to be i'm not trying to be controversial or anything but it does seem that poison ivy does seem to have more sympathy toward one particular gender than, than another. <laughs> I don't see a lot of sympathy toward any of the male characters. I think they pretty much every male character that showed up here has been killed in this comic. I think I think I think I can say that with a degree, high degree of certainty. I don't know of any male that's actually survived. There's no men in this group, uh, but at least she, Poison Ivy is starting somewhere. She's starting to show some compassion. She's starting to show more empathy, not just toward Harley, but towards other women, and she's starting to have some empathy. And I think, you know, look. Uh, I like Poison Ivy as a villain, but, you know, like, but pick, you know, pick a lane. So if she's going to be more on the side of angels now or more of an anti-hero, so be it. And that seems to be where she's going. Uh, unfortunately, this one character, this this one member of her group uh, appears to be unbeknownst to uh, uh, Poison Ivy is unable to control the transformation of one of the members in the group into this crazy creature, which I guess we're going to find out what exactly happened to this character uh, next issue. But it's clear that these Lamia spores, in addition to giving Harley, uh, pardon me, in, in addition to giving Poison Ivy some additional powers and abilities, it also seems to be very much... Uh, almost like a curse it's a both a blessing and a curse and so i'm interested in that i'm interested to see if it, are these new powers that ivy has are they going to be developing are they going to continue to evolve and um you know and she seems to have developed her own little group here i'm also kind of curious is harley going to be pissed off um i know harley and ivy seem to have this i I think they have this de facto sort of understanding that they can kind of sleep who, with whom, whoever they want. I have a feeling Harley might not necessarily feel comfortable if Poison Ivy shows up with a group bunch of women and she's already slept with at least one of them. Um, so I kind of like the drama there. You know, I mean, why not throw some drama in there? Because I, I always say, I always joke uh, with with a high degree of truth that the one thing that you can always rely upon when you put a group of women together is that they'll find a way not to get along. Uh, people talk about men. In any event, uh, I, I enjoyed this. It wasn't bad. Oh, you're on mute there. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, she's clearly uh, G. Willow Wilson's clearly taken Har uh, Ivy on a journey, and and where where that ends up, how it all plays out, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But uh, interesting nonetheless to see how it's all going to uh, to play out. So, um, all right, so that does it for the books we're going to talk about in detail. There are uh, a number of hardcovers and and collections and what have you out this week uh, as well. So. We've got um, the Batman Volume 1 Failsafe hardcover. This collects Batman's 125 through 130. We've got Sandman Universe Nightmare Country from James Tynan. Collects that entire series 1 through 6. DC vs. Vampires Volume 2 hardcover. Collects DC vs. Vampires 7 through 12 from Tynan and Rosenberg. 
and then there's a deluxe spawn, uh, a Batman Spawn Deluxe Edition hardcover that collects the uh, the one sh- the the one shot of 2022 Batman Spawn, also the 90 1994 Batman Spawn War Devil, and 1994 Spawn Batman Number One. So back in the day in 1994. There was a Batman Spawn crossover that DC did. You know, it's Batman's first in that title. <laughs> and then there's a Spawn Batman that Image did, and Spawn comes first in that title. So if you're curious about all those team-ups, Batman Spawn, Spawn Batman, uh, and the most recent one with Capullo art, first two have uh, McFarlane art. So you can, you can get them all collected in one nice uh, hardcover. And then finally, there's uh, a collection for Batman the Doom that came to Gotham. Numbers one through three, which is sort of a steampunk type Batman from uh, writers Richard Pace and Mike Mignola with uh, pencils by Troy Nixie. So, uh, book of the week. I think you let the cat out of the bag well, already. Or well, why don't you? Uh, why, why don't you? Why don't you go? I went first last week, so why don't you tell me? Because that way I won't ruin it if I pick the same one. So you go first uh, this time. What's you your know, pick of the week? See, I'm gonna see so you say that, and I'm gonna cheat uh, that's what i was gonna say you go f- like, I, well, can't I can go I, first I, if you want i thought i was doing you a favor but i can go first if you uh, want so i can't i i couldn't choose uh, it's a tie for me oh really batman and the joker deadly duo number six is just fantastic like i said this issue really shows how this can be an evergreen title that can continue for uh continue to do well and be sold for years and years to come um <clears throat> But also Adventures of Superman, John Kent, just for the surprise factor, uh, the subversion, and uh, the Clayton Henry art, I thought was fantastic. So I, yeah. I, I couldn't choose between the two. So uh, I'm picking, wow. I'm picking those both, and one of those is probably your pick. Uh no, actually, no. I, oh, I was, I was still, I, I, as much as I found aspects of Adventures of Superman, John Kent, not bad. I was still, I'm still. I'm more miffed by the by the by the bait and switch that Tom Taylor did. So it's not my pick. I like Deadly Deal, but I'm gonna straight up. I really enjoyed the Flash. I I like the ending. I love the ending, and uh, I just it put a smile on my face. I I love the art. I love Gold Beetle. I loved how it all came together. Uh, I even love some of the comments of Lagoon seeing Lagoon Boy there. It just it just it was my favorite issue out of the entire One Minute War, and uh, you know. And it, for me, it ended on a high, the high note that I wanted it to end on. And I'm glad that Jeremy Adams still has like four issues left before he leaves the title. And uh, so it, it's nice. To me, it felt like a nice little cherry on top. And, uh, you know, there, you know, as I said, I, I, the nitpicks were maybe with the art throughout the series uh, here and there. But I thought it ended with, with the best art. And it, uh, I, I actually loved the cover as well. And so uh, straight up. It's this to me felt it's the best DC. It's still the best DC event in in years, quite frankly. If uh, despite all of the minor criticisms I had, I still enjoyed this more. Certainly more than Dark Crisis. Certainly more than uh, Death Death Metal. I've enjoyed it more than you know a whole any Joker War or Bay City of Bane. I mean, it's just I, I've enjoyed this because it's been fun, enjoyable, and uh, just moving forward. I'm looking forward to even seeing the the characters of the Fraction again moving forward. And uh, and again, I I, I I get very defensive of Jeremy Adams because I want him to stay on the Flash. But. Yeah, I mean, no argument here. It's um, it's unfortunate that he's leaving the title. Um, yeah. So I guess 
that's all that's all we can say. Uh, and hopefully he'll get a chance to work on some more Flash in the future. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Don't forget, everybody, head over to YouTube if you don't already. If you're listening to this audio only, we appreciate it. Uh, but head over to YouTube and subscribe to Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. You know what to do once you're there. You've been on YouTube before. Ring the bell. Subscribe leave comments, notifications, all that sort of thing. Uh, conversely, if you found us on YouTube and you do want to listen to some of the other audio-only content we provide on the Comic Source, just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the Comic Source, and subscribe. So we appreciate the support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The readings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.